Hello and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. I'm Chad Russell, co-host, and that is Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. How you doing today, Kurt? Doing awesome, brother. Good. We are our show. How you uh, doing? I'm doing well. Doing really well. Uh, we are uh, a show, if you have just tuned in for the very first time, we're a show for men by men talking about things from a man's perspective. Uh, we know lots of ladies listen, and that's great, but we're talking to the guys. We want to talk about things from a guy perspective because uh, we're different than ladies. I don't know if anybody told you that, but we are different. We are really different. <laughs> uh, good and bad ways, <laughs> mostly bad. Uh, but uh, we are a show that uh, just talks about life, and we've had different people on the show, and, and our main goal in this show is to, is to solid steps has a reason, and that reason is that we believe that you were destined to walk with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, mm, adopted into the family, uh, into that family of God through Jesus. And uh, we just want to be an encourager, a tool in your toolbox, guys, uh, to hear about what does it look like to walk solidly with God. So we've had all kinds of different uh, guests on our show, but rarely can you mention the word legend in a, in a conversation, and it's really true. That word gets thrown around a lot. And so uh, our, our guest today, and this is, uh, this is going to air originally on uh, Kentucky Derby Week, and if you live outside of Louisville, that probably means nothing to you, but in Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby Week, that's where I could... Oh, it's a big it, deal. The schedule revolves around that. <laughs> and so today we are honored to have on our show, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of the credentials of this gentleman. He is uh, a four-times Eclipse Award winner. And if you don't know anything about that, that's a big deal. That's the Academy Awards of horse racing, I guess, if you will. Uh, he is a six-time U.S. champion by wins in his career. He was inducted to the National Racing Hall of Fame in 1991. He has won nine Triple Crown races, 12 Breeders' Cup wins. Uh, and he has over 8,800, 8, 8,803 to be exact, wins in the horse racing industry. And so when you start talking about a short list, when you start talking about the best basketball players ever, Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, those names start getting thrown around, right? So when you start talking about some of the names of the best jockeys that have ever ridden on the back of a horse, our guest is in that short list of day. And I don't mean that short. That I didn't mean that in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Kurt, you did. Rescue me. <laughs> oh my I thought goodness. you. I thought he you were going to list me with the basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> we have with us Pat Day, and it is a blast to have you, brother. Oh, it's a joy to be here. Thank so, you for having me on. And and speaking of short, so we. we, we <laughs> I didn't say you did there. I'm trying to you, balance out. You, I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> you you do. How yeah. tall how tall are you, Pat? Now, if I tell you that, I'll have to shoot you. No. <laughs> No, I am. I am all of four foot eleven inches tall. Hey, that's my daughter Ivy. She is. Ah. She's four foot eleven. Yeah. So uh, four foot eleven and weighing in at today about one hundred and twenty. <laughs> one hundred and twenty. Yeah. When you were racing, how much did you weigh? Oh, about one hundred and two. Between a hundred, between depending on you've, the time of year, between ninety eight and one hundred and two. You've bulked up over the years. Uh, well, since two thousand and five, we've gotten a little, <laughs> a little broader in the girth. <laughs> Pat, it, uh, it's great to have you. Um, I love listening to your story, and uh, but let's uh, let's take our listeners back to you. You grew up out west. Tell us a little bit about that. I grew up in a, a ranching farming community in Colorado. My dad was a father. Uh, was a uh, my dad was a body and fender repairman by trade, uh, and it would have probably served him better to live in town, but he insisted that uh, he wanted to raise his, him and mother wanted to raise their kids out in the country. So uh, he'd bought, a, him and mother bought a little place out in the country, four or five acres, and uh, us kids had chores. Uh, my sister had to take care of the chickens, gather the eggs. My brother and I swapped off on milking a cow, and uh, we had to feed the animals and take care of that, but it was, a, it was an awesome childhood. We learned how to ride early. 
my father didn't want us to learn how to ride the saddle. He wanted us to learn how to ride the horse, so he made us ride bareback mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, the first couple of years until we, we got the feel of the horse, which I realize today that that helped significantly in my ultimate career as, as a jockey. But it was a great childhood, mm. a great childhood. So um, you, you grew up in this little little kind of, got some acreage out. Was it in the mountains? Were you in the mountains? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were, I was raised just west, about 15 miles west of Vail, Colorado. So a little area called Edwards. That entire country today is decidedly, uh, they've developed it all. There's homes everywhere. Uh, but at that time, it was very sparsely populated. Uh, it was country. And um, tell our listeners, you... Uh, you you were a competitive dude, even as a little guy. You 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 uh, you were the state wrestling champion. Is that right? I was, but that's a little bit on the misleading. Uh, we <laughs> it was, it was a small small country school. I mean, it was a small school. Uh, I think there was thirty seven kids in our graduating class, and in the eighth grade, I weighed sixty three pounds and was four foot seven. Hit a growth spurt, went from four foot seven to four foot eleven, sixty three to ninety three pounds. So I wrestled the lowest weight category my entire high school career. So I had a 77-7 and record at the end of four years, went to state three years in a row, state runner-up twice, state champion once. But again, that's a little misleading because there's not a lot of juniors or seniors that could wrestle that lowest weight category. So I had a bit of an experience advantage uh, over my opponents. I'll take it, though. I mean, oh, I, absolutely. I'm <laughs> proud of the fact that, yeah, proud that uh, it, it was, and I loved wrestling. It was something, uh, you know, you, you wrestle your weight category, so it leveled the playing field. I mean, I was too short to play basketball, too small to play football. Um, you know, this was the one sport that I could invest in, and, and I did. I put my whole heart into it and, and, and endeavored to do the best that I could. So then uh, you, you, you have this kind of competitive spirit within you. And, uh, and then you graduated from high school and you moved into, what did you move into? Uh, I tried to be a bull rider. But that you actually tried. started when I was nine. There, uh, you know, Little Bridges Rodeos, Junior Rodeos, through, you know, from nine, from nine years old. Uh, and then in my junior, senior year in high school, I was on the rodeo team. And when I graduated, I really, I had a, I had a, a desire to be a professional bull rider. I, I loved the lifestyle I love the, the, the adrenaline rush of getting down on the back of a bull and endeavoring to make the eight seconds. Uh, I didn't do that very, very often. You uh, started so, when you were nine? Yeah. yeah. You were on a crazy wild bull when you were nine years old. Well, it was a steer. It was steer riding at that time. Okay. Probably, steers probably weighed six or 800 pounds. And the first one I rode bucked me off and stepped on me. And my mother was elated because she thought that would that would curb my desire to do that, but it didn't. It just fired me up, and made me want to get back out there. So your mom's trying to talk you out of this. Well, not really trying to talk me out of it, but she would she would have been happier had I not endeavored to do that. I believe. What would your dad think? Well, I, I, dad supported us in whatever we you know for the most part whatever we wanted to do, and so uh, he was up on the back of the chute the day I got down on that steer the first time, and and uh, you know they opened a the gate and. Pew, pew, he jumped a couple of times, and I came off, and he spun around and stepped right right in the th- this part, between my shoulder and my chest, right in that area. It didn't break anything. Ooh, but it hurt. It hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, when did you say, you know what, I need to give this up? Um, I, I didn't really, to be honest with you. I was pursuing that uh, with a very limited amount of success, I might add, and um uh, in the course of my travels out of high school, I, I met some people that suggested or inquired or recommended that I should be a jockey. It was something I, I knew nothing about. I had heard of Bill Shoemaker, Eddie Arcaro, 
and the Kentucky Derby. That was the extent of my knowledge about horse racing. In the mountains, we didn't have TV. I'd never seen a race, never been to the races. So when they said, you want to be a jockey? I said, no, I don't want to be a jockey. And a guy gave me his name and number and said, if you ever have an interest, give me a call. I know some people in racing, and I'll help you get started. And so in the fall of 1972, um, into the rodeo season there in Colorado, I said, yeah, let me, let me be a jockey. And so I called him. Uh, he got me a job on a farm in California. Now, how old were you? How old were you? Uh, see, I think I graduated in '71. I turned 18 that fall. I guess I was, I was 18. I turned 19 in in October of '72. I think, 18 or 19. Yeah. So you give the guy a call, and he got me a job on a farm in California, Riverside Thoroughbred Farm. So in January of 1973, I went to California. I sat down with the farm owner and the farm manager, and they said, now, you want to be a jockey? I said, yeah, I want to be a jockey. Now, you got to remember, I, I knew nothing about what I was endeavoring to become. And so uh, they said, well, this is what we think you need to do. You need to be on the farm for two to three years learning the business from the ground up. Absolute correct way to go. Uh, and at the end of that period of time, we'll send you to the track. You'll work for a trainer at the track, continuing to hone your skills, experience life at the racetrack. Watch the races, study the films, do that for another year, you'll be ready to start riding. At the end of a month, I was sure that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> it was minimal, it was daylight till dark work, seven days a week for minimal pay. I said, I don't want to do this for two or three years to become a jockey. I, I, that's not what I want to do. But today I'm reminded of a scripture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Didn't know that scripture. But I truly believe that God had his hand upon me, was guiding and directing me. Because when I left California, I had no idea of, of, of being a jockey. I was, I was going to continue pursuing a career as a bull rider. So, so okay, so when you decide you're on the farm there, you're working seven days a week, yep. not nine, basically nonstop. Yep. What, when in the world, I, I mean, you say, I need to get on a horse and we just need to make this happen. How'd that happen? Well, when I, when I left uh, California, uh, I went to Las Vegas, Nevada with the idea I was just going to lay up for the winter, do whatever I could to feed myself until the, the rodeo season started. And then my idea was that I would hook up with a stock contractor, somebody that provides the, the bucking horses and bulls and stock for the rodeo. And that would give me an opportunity to practice during the week, work on the weekends. I got to Las Vegas, I couldn't find a job. Somebody said, well, there's a racetrack. They're building a racetrack in Henderson, which was a suburb of Las Vegas at the time. So they've got some horses out there. They're using it for a winter training track. Why don't you go out and apply for a job? So I did. I went out, and a fellow named Steve Talbot befriended me, said, I'll let you get on my horses. Uh, I'll pay you $2 a head to exercise my horses. So I started getting on these horses. I think he had three. So I wasn't making a, an incredible amount of money, $6 a day or whatever. But uh, I'd done that for a couple of months, and then Steve was an official on the fair circuit in Arizona. And uh, so he'd, he'd uh, asked me to, to follow him down there and help me continue to pursue my career as a, as a jockey at that point. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break. And uh, that beginning of a jockey, boy, took off. And we're glad for that. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back shortly talking with Hall of Famer Pat Day on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our second segment of Solid Steps Radio. It's Derby Week, and if you're listening to this at any other point, again, we are talking today with Hall of Fame horse race uh, jockey uh, Pat Day. And uh, if you live anywhere in or around Louisville area, Pat Day is a name that you've been familiar with. And uh, speaking of legends and, and people who are really popular around Louisville, I would like to thank our sponsors of our show, LNN Credit Union. They're a local lender who really helps our community. Vision First Eye Care, they help folks see better 
and uh, help you as a person be able to navigate through life, being able to see well. And Frank Enterprises, they're an organization that helps if you're this time of year trying to figure out septic tank issues or land drainage issues. Frank Enterprises is great for that. Bright Star Home Care, they're an organization that helps people go from living independently to maybe having to live some dependence and needing some help in which direction to go. Bright Star Home Care does that. Dan Hart Financial, if you want to invest for the future, for your retirement and for the kingdom, Dan Hart Financial helps do that. And we want to thank all of our sponsors who want to help pony up with us on the show. See where I went with that, Kurt? Hey, you're good. Right? You're, you. you're so good. <laughs> Listen to the expert about ponies. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk to uh, the guy who really knows about horses. Hey, so Pat, you're you're out you're out west, you're in Nevada, you're making two bucks uh, a horse, six bucks a day, you know, whatever, and you're just months, fast forward months, and you're on your first ride. Your inner horse race. Yep. Tell tell us. <clears throat> well, I, I uh, when when Steve left Las Vegas to go to California uh, to uh, Arizona to take up his duties as the clerk of scales, he invited me to come with him. I followed him down there. He introduced me to some people. I started getting on a few horses there. We went to Prescott for the summer, and I hooked up with a, a rodeo cowboy turned horse trainer named Carl Pugh, and started getting on his horses. By the middle of the summer, I told Carl, I said, I, I, I want to start riding. And he agreed to let me ride a few of his horses. I started, rode my first race in the middle of July. Now, you're, you're, cl- you're pretty much, I mean, you've been on horses, you know, but you've never been in a race. No, no, until the middle you, of July. And you just go, I've I got to get on this horse. Oh, I, I wanted I, to. Yeah, <laughs> my competitive fire was burning. I, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to participate. And uh, so anyway, July 29th, 1973, seven months after I'd been on the farm, I, I won my first horse race. And uh, that fall, Carl took one horse to California, a horse called Continental Kid. We ran him in, uh, in a race at, uh, L- at the L.A. County Fair at Pomona. Uh, he won. And uh, when I came out of the jockey's room that evening, the farm manager, a fellow named Gene Cummins, uh, was standing there just shaking his head when he seen me. He said, it is you. Um, he couldn't believe it. When he seen my name in the program, he, <laughs> he wondered if I was the same man that had been on the farm in January. And when he seen me ride, he said there was no way. Uh, it was it was pretty pretty easy to recognize that I was tremendously tremendously blessed on the back of a horse. By January of 1974, I was the leading leading rider at a racetrack in Arizona called Turf Paradise. It's located in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, Turf Paradise is not Churchill Downs or Belmont Park or Santa Anita, but it's a very competitive race meet. And to be the leading rider one year after you've been introduced to the sport was highly unheard of. I think it's just indicative of the talent and ability that the Lord had entrusted me with, and he obviously knew what he was doing, led me out of the mountains of Colorado and into the great sport of horse racing. Wow. So, you know, I remember Bob Russell said years ago, talent is awesome, and you have a lot of talent, just God-given talent, but you've also had the favor of God. Oh, amen. Amen. And uh, Bob says, you know, uh, talent and intellect and creativity are awesome, but the favor of God trumps it all. Amen. And you have experienced the favor of God. So, okay, so you win your first race, on that July 29th, you've been, you've, you, you, you were on the horse, uh, how many different races before you got that first win? I probably rode a half a dozen races, may, maybe eight. I, I, don't, I don't know the exact number, but it was a small number. We just ran on weekends, and so I'd been riding for two weekends before I, I, rode my, before I won my first race. So, okay, you, you win that first race. Now, fast forward, you're just continuing to, the, the, the wins just keep racking up. Oh yeah, yeah. As I said, we were uh, we wound up leading rider at Turf Paradise and and uh, just and continued to do well. Uh, but you know the success came so fast and furious that I didn't appreciate it, didn't respect it. 
Uh, at the end of the day, I was looking for higher highs. Drugs and alcohol was readily available, and I found myself led into a life of, of sordid living. And, uh, you know, periodically I would come to my sense and say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And I kept thinking, if I could climb that ladder of success high enough, I would, I would get the, the brass ring. Uh, when I got to the top of that mountain, you know, I would, I would find the pot at the end of the rainbow. And uh, <clears throat> fast forward, I, I won uh, riding titles all over the country, but nothing on a national scale. Um, the Lord led me into a relationship with a woman from Louisiana in 1978. We got married in 1979, and we'll be celebrating our 39th anniversary coming up June 30th. Nice. Sheila Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful woman. You did well. Tremendously supporting. Oh, God done well. <laughs> God done well. I, I know that God brought us together. And has kept us together through some incredibly trying times, as you can imagine, over 39 years of, of uh, marriage. But um, uh, anyway, she brought a lot of stability to my life and, and a lot of meaning, but there was still something lacking. And so then in 1982, we found ourselves in a position to be leading rider in North America. And I just knew that if I could be leading rider in North America, I'd never have another bad day. That that would, that would be what was necessary to fill me up, to give me that long-term joy, peace, and contentment. And uh, as the Lord would have it, I won the national riding title. Uh, first two weeks of 1983, I have very little recall. I was too busy celebrating. And as I, I alluded to earlier, I was, I was caught up in a, in a life of drugs and alcohol. Uh, I believe I was a stone alcoholic drug addict. Uh, I mean, I was, I was over the top. And in the midst of that was continuing to, to win races and, and to win riding titles. So for the first two weeks of 83, I was caught up in this party mode. Don't have a lot of recall of the good time that I had. I finally came out of that drug and alcohol-induced stupor in the middle of January and took a personal inventory, and the fleeting feeling of succeeding, the fleeting feeling of having won the national riding title was gone. It hadn't changed anything. Mm. The climb to the top was decidedly more rewarding than actually getting there. Mm. You know, I'd gotten hold of the brass ring. It was attached to nothing. I found the pot at the end of the rainbow. It was empty. Not to take away from the joy and, 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 and you know, uh, the sense of accomplishment, winning the national riding title was awesome. But it did not equate to the long-term joy, peace, and contentment that I thought that it would. And that sent me searching. So, so you're searching, you're, you're winning, you're continuing to win, but you're still mm-hmm. doing drugs and alcohol. You're still doing, you know, still doing the party. I mean, really, it's, it's that old saying, you know, our heart is restless yeah. until we find rest Amen. in and God him. alone. Mm-hmm. So, so now, fast forward, Pat, you, you're, you, you've won that title. Um, at, at that point... I, I, you've won uh, nine triple crowns, the Belmont, the Preakness, the Derby. How, how many, how, where were you in that, in that stage in, in the early 80s? I hadn't, I hadn't won any major races up to that point Okay. Uh, in 84. Uh, in 1983, we were the leading rider again in North America. And in January of 1984, uh, Sheila and I were vacationing in Colorado with my family. <clears throat> on January 27th, she drove me into Denver, put me on a plane. I flew to Miami, Florida, where I was scheduled to ride in a race the next day. I got into Miami late in the evening, checked into a hotel near the, near the airport, got in my room, flipped the TV set on, started getting ready for bed. The program on that particular channel was the Jimmy Swigert Televised Crusade. Now, I'm looking for answers, but I didn't believe that he had them. Uh, I believed at that point in time that Christianity or religion was for women and children and wimps. That wasn't for a successful man like myself. I needed some answers. I was looking for the purpose of life, and I didn't think that mm. Brother Swigert had it. And so when I'm all ready for bed, I, I ran through the channels on that TV set, got all the way around the dial back to Jimmy Swigert, disappointed that nothing got my attention, turned the TV off, went to bed. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I went sound asleep. I mean, slept, I mean, out like a light. 
and I slept so soundly that when I awoke, I felt I'd been sleeping for a long period of time, but I awoke to the distinct feeling I wasn't by myself. And I sat upright in bed. I looked around the room. I couldn't see anything, but I could sense a presence there with me. And I don't know if at that point the Lord prompted me to get up and turn the TV on. You know, that was in the days before remote control, so you actually had to get up and walk over and turn the TV on. And, but I walked over and I turned the TV on as the picture materialized on the screen. I realized I've not been sleeping very long. Uh, Jimmy Swigert still on TV. It was right in the point in the program when he was extending the invitation to the viewing audience to those that would want to receive Christ into their heart. And at that moment, it was like the scales were removed from my eyes. I recognized, realized the presence there with me was the spirit of the living God. And, and I stated for the next 22 years that that was my personal altar call. Mm. But, uh, but I knew that I knew that that was a missing piece of the puzzle. That's what I wanted. That's what I needed. Intuitively, I knew that I knew that I knew that that's what it was all about. And I fell on my knees and wept and cried and invited Christ into my life. But I didn't invite him into my life. I, I discovered sometime later, remembered that I had actually prayed to receive Christ into my heart when I was 13. And I believe that from that point forward, God had had his hand upon my life directed my footsteps miraculously, mysteriously behind the scenes without me knowing about it, of course, uh, out of the mountains of Colorado and into the great sport of horse racing, uh, where the talent and ability had the opportunity to come forth and where I enjoyed such phenomenal success. And, uh, but that night in that hotel room, what I'd done was invited him out of the back room, offered him his rightful place on the throne of my heart. See, Jesus mm. said that I come that you might have life and have it to the full. The, he is the full and abundant life. And I had invited him into my heart to be my savior when I was 13, but I wasn't enjoying the abundant life. I'd relegated, mm. I had relegated the giver and sustainer of life to the back room, only to call upon him when I had my back up against the wall with no help inside. And I'd say, oh, God, help me. And you know what would happen? He bounded out of the back room, helped me through that trying time. <laughs> and then I, in, in, a, in a sense, would send him back to the, to the closet. Okay, get back in there now. And, uh, but that night in that hotel room, forgive me, Father, that I would ever do that, but I would just ignore him. And that night in that hotel room, I invited him out, offered him his rightful place on the throne of my heart, acknowledged him not just as my Savior, not just my lucky rabbit foot, but my Lord and Savior, and began cultivating a personal, intimate relationship with him. The hound of heaven had captured your heart. Ooh, glory. <laughs> Say what, we're going to take a break and we're going to hear more. So from that hotel room, where do we go from here? Where does God take Pat Day then at that point? He had had leading riding titles up to that point. So is at the peak of his career? Well, let's take a look and we'll take more of a look at that in the next third segment. In the fourth segment, we're going to ask Pat, best horse he's ever ridden, favorite race he's ever read, uh, ridden in. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about uh, his horse racing career. So we're going to be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our third segment today we're talking to hall of fame jockey pat day and uh, we're talking a little bit about horse racing but a lot more about god what god has done in his life in the last couple of segments we've talked about how he got on a horse for the first time in this in this in the 70s uh in regards to riding a horse he won and then now he is in 80 1982 uh, the north american in 83 the north american leading jockey so in less than a decade he becomes the the top of the game but then he realized there was nothing there that would really give him the significance he was looking for. And then in a hotel room in Miami in 1984, hmm. uh, a birth a, a, a birth happened. Something miraculous happened. He became a new man. Uh, which, by the way, if you're listening, it can happen to you no matter where you are. Amen. <laughs> so we'll talk more about that a little later on. But so now we're going from, from that. And then all of a sudden, 
Pat is at an interesting fork in the road there. He, he's like, okay, uh, which lane do I take in regards to where I'm going? So as a jockey, he's probably thinking, is there an opening here or an opening there? And he's thinking about which one he's going to take. Yeah. So, so Pat, you're 30 years old. You give your life to Christ. And in, in your mind, you begin to think, I'm, I'm supposed to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to go into full-time ministry. Talk to our listeners about that, thinking through that process and how a man helped you think through that. Absolutely. Well, I, I need to back up just a little bit because as you alluded to just a moment ago, you know, when you come to Christ, you become a new creature. The Word of God says when you become born again, old things are passed away and behold, all things become new again. I didn't know that scripture. When I, when I fell on my knees that night, my face that night in that hotel room, uh, I don't know how long I was there. I finally got up and went back to bed. But when I, when I got up the next morning and walked outside, the whole world took on a different look. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer, the air was clearer. But the world hadn't changed. I had changed. I was, a, I was a different person. I was a new creature in Christ. And again, I couldn't have verbalized that. But I knew something had radically changed within me. Uh, how changed, I didn't know. I got on the plane the next night, started back to Colorado. When the stewardess came down the aisle there with the drink cart, she got to me. She said, excuse me, sir, would you like something to drink? And I snarled at her. I said, no. And she looked at me real funny and walked on. And I thought, why, why would I? Why would I be like that? Mm. Uh, why would I respond in that way? My mother and dad raised me to be a gentleman, and I was until after I had a couple of drinks, at which point I became a miniature Incredible Hulk. But uh, why would I snarl at her? And as I thought about that, I was reminded that normally when she would come by, I would get two of those little bottles of alcoholic beverage, not one, because I didn't want to run out. And as I thought about that, I realized, you know what? Not only do I not want it, I found it to be repulsive. Today I'm reminded of the scripture where in, in, in the book of John where it says Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. There is no doubt in my mind but that night when I invited my Savior to take his rightful place on the throne of my heart that he broke the chains of bondage and set me free from that addictive lifestyle. Mm. I, I'm not Pat a, an alcoholic. I'm Pat a born-again recreated spirit being made in the image of Almighty God. <laughs> and, and so now I got back to Colorado, met up with my wife. We drove to Arkansas. And the first day at the racetrack in Arkansas, I seen a guy with a big black cowboy hat walking around with a dear friend of mine, Sam Maple. Uh, bless his heart, a born-again Christian who has since uh, succumbed to cancer and gone home to be with the Lord. But uh, he, was, he hollered at me. He said, hey, Pat, he said, uh, uh, why don't you meet our new chaplain? Well, I, yeah, I didn't know we had an old chaplain. But I said, yeah, let, 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 maybe he can give me some direction because I'll be honest with you. At that, at that point, I was, I was seriously considering leaving the racetrack and going to the seminary to become a minister. I wanted to tell people what had taken place in my life. Yes. I, I, I had the real deal, and I wanted to share it. So I ran over, and, and, and he introduced me to a friend, the man that became my best friend and spiritual mentor, Mike Spencer. And I said, Mike, what can I do? And he said, well, just come to Racetrack Church. And so I started cultivating a relationship with Mike. Sheila and I started going to Racetrack Church. I shared with Mike my dilemma. I'm at this crossroads. I don't know, you know, at this point I can reflect back and see how I got introduced to the sport of horse racing and how much success I'd had. And it was pretty obvious that I'd been blessed with talent and ability. Uh, but I felt the desire to go to seminary, become a minister, and I, I, I don't know what to do. And so Mike said, well, let's pray about it. Novel idea. Yeah, let's pray about it. And so we did. We prayed. We sought the scriptures. And through that process, the Lord had revealed, revealed to me that he'd saved me to work within racing, not to leave it. Take the talent. Take the ability. Do the best that I possibly could, all the while being open to opportunities to give him the praise, the honor, and the glory. And that gave me a newfound reason to pursue my career. It was no longer about the accolades or name up in lights and lights and, and the fame and the fortune. It was, you know, the Word of God says, do all that you do with all of your heart, as though you were doing it under the Lord. And that means if you're helping your wife with dishes, 
if you're cleaning the litter box or if you're riding the Kentucky Derby. You, you do the best that you possibly can, and that, that became my mindset. Mm. I wanted to do all that I'd done with all of my heart. I wanted to please my Heavenly Father. And, uh, man, I, then, my, then my success really ramped up. Well, uh, yeah, because you were writer of the year before, you know, back in 82, was it? 82 and 83. Yeah, and then, um, and then all of a sudden, wow, Triple Crown, uh, I mean, wins uh, began to just happen. Well, I, I immediately thought, when I got this revelation from God, I thought, wow, no bigger platform in all of racing than the Kentucky Derby. I must be going to, I'm going to win the Derby. I better be prepared. <laughs> so I put together a little mini sermon that it was just going to, I was going to knock it out of the park. <laughs> I practiced in a, in, a, in a bathroom mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you're, 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 you've already won in your mind. You have, I've won the Derby. They're going to interview me. And this and is this my, is what I'm going to say. Gonna be my little sermon. Yeah. And, yeah and God knew I wasn't ready, so he let me practice nine times. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what happened, though. They, they, they had a, a series of races that began that fall called the Breeders' Cup. And I secured the mount on a horse called Wild Again. Uh, he subsequently won the race. He was a bit of a long shot. Uh, and we won by the narrowest of margins, a l- long, lengthy inquiry into the running of the race. And ultimately, they, they left my horse as the winner. I got back on him. We're walking around the circle. I'm, I'm pretty proud of old Pat Day at that point. I'm, I'm ready to pat myself on the back. <laughs> and um, I completely forgot about the Lord at that moment in time. And I'm gonna, I'm, the crowd's going wild. And so I said, man, if I take my helmet off and showboat just a little bit, you know, like wave my helmet at the crowd, if the volume goes up, I'll know they're looking at me. And so when we turned and faced the grandstand, I reached up to grab my helmet, and the audible voice of God said, it's not them. And I took my helmet off and looked to the heavens and said, thank you, Jesus. Mm. And uh, they, they, they took a picture of that and actually uh, closed out uh, the Breeders' Cup uh, TV show with that in the background and then used it in a lot of promotion for the Breeders' Cup the next year. I know because of that victory, I, w- I won, was selected as the Eclipse Award winner and, uh, and in front of... Uh, I don't know, 900 or 1,000 of racing elite. Uh, when I accepted my award the next February, um, I had an opportunity to expound on that and, uh, and mention my Lord and Savior, gave him all the praise, the honor, and the glory for that moment in time mm-hmm. and have, have tried to take advantage of every opportunity since then just to, just to point to him, just to give him the praise, the honor, and the glory because he's the one that deserves, he, he, deserves, he deserves it all. Um, when you think about the Derby, Pat, um when you won, when you won the Derby, did you give your little sermon then? You know what I, I, I won the race on a horse called Little E.T. for my dear friend Lynn Whiting and, and Mr. Cal Parti and and uh, just the most incredible feeling in racing. And uh, when when I went into the finish line, I just stood up and started screaming, "Thank you Jesus! Thank you Jesus! Hallelujah!" <laughs> for allowing me the, the 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 pleasure of experiencing that. And uh, when I got pulled up on the backside, the outrider was wired for sound. He had you know it. Uh, he had a microphone on him so we could talk to the to the booth. And Jim McKay said something to me, and I, I just went to give the Lord. To, I said, I, I knew there was a derby out there somewhere with my name on it. I just praised God and all the glory. To, I don't know just what I said, but <laughs> it, it was a mini sermon that was unprepared. <laughs> and uh, uh, spoke from my heart. I just uh, was just so overjoyed that the Lord would allow me the thrill of winning that great race. Mm. How many times have you won second? 
Uh, how many times have I ran second in the Derby? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, four or five, I guess. I have the distinction of running second three years in a row. <laughs> before and, you won? Was that before you won? Yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of like, Lord, I've got this sermon ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think well, that, was, that was part and parcel of the, of the Lord's plan, too, you know, because by that time I was standing on the promises of God. I, I, I fell in love with the Word of God. And there was a scripture in the book of Romans, 8th chapter, 28th verse, that really was my go-to verse. In all things, in all circumstances, God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So when I, when I ran second in the Derby the first time, I came back in and my horse had ran well. I'd rode well. We were second best. And so I'm answering, a, a, you know, the press is gathered up and they're asking questions. And somebody said, well, you don't seem to be very upset. And I said, well, I'm not. My God has promised me. And I quoted that scripture, burp, into the press conference. But that's okay, because God has promised his word, his word would not return void. So the next year I came back, I ran second again. And they know that I've got to be, you know, because I want to win the race like everybody else. And uh, so they gathered up and they're firing questions, and I'm answering cool, calm, and collectedly. But that's not me. That's the Lord in me. And finally somebody said, well, you don't seem to be very upset. I said, well, I'm not. My God promises me in Romans 8:28 that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Burp, into the press conference. So the next year I came back and... I ran second on a horse called Summer Squall. Unbridled had won the race, and they just knew for sure that I would be upset because I had the choice. I could have ridden Unbridled. And so I came back, and I'm answering their questions, and finally somebody said, well, you don't seem to be very upset. And before I could say anything, another member of the press said, yeah, Romans 8.28, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you got it. You got it. Uh, but then the Lord allowed me the, the thrill of winning that in 1992 for my dear friends, Mr. Partee and Mr. Uh, Mr. Whiting. What, what a treat. So, it was, so, Pat, um, just real quickly, before we go into our break in our last segment, uh, is there a difference in, you, in when you won the K- Kentucky Derby versus winning the Preakness, winning the Belmont? I'll tell you what, hold that thought, Pat, because we're going to come back for the fourth and final segment because we're right up on a break, and I want to hear that answer. So we're going to hear about that answer, some other racehorsing uh, facts as far as his career and uh, just talk a little bit more about what Pat's doing outside of horse racing when he, when he got off the saddle. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our fourth and final Down the Stretch segment. See what I did there, Kurt? You're good. See, I'm trying You're to work so in the horse good, racing. Dude. So good, uh, dude. We're talking today. Short, pony, <laughs> down the stretch. That's the voice of Pat Day, <laughs> Hall of Fame jockey, and we're talking our, our Derby Day edition. Uh, you know, okay, so Pat, you've won some other Triple Crowns. You won the Belmont, you won the Preakness, but you've never won the Derby. You got second, and then finally you win the Derby. What's the difference emotionally? There, there's only one Kentucky Derby, and everybody the world over knows about the Kentucky Derby. Um, and as, as far as I can remember, <clears throat> whenever anybody found out that I was a jockey and not a basketball player, they, <laughs> they would inquire as to whether, did you ever win the Derby? Did you ever win the Derby? They didn't, they didn't know which end of the horse the bridle hung on, but they wanted to know if I'd won the Derby. And uh, so it's just, it is the cornerstone of the American racing calendar. Uh, everybody wants to, wants to participate and ultimately win the Kentucky Derby. And even though I'd run second on several occasions, I thought I had an idea what it would, what it would be like. But it just it just blew me away. It was it was if the feeling was I thought was going to be the ceiling, it was a little bit north of the moon. It was unbelievable, indescribable is the only word I could come up with to to even remotely describe it. You you said in the break, Pat, that you I mean you really and, and you said this when you won second, 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 um, three years in a row, and you kept quoting Romans eight twenty eight. You know it's all in the Lord's hands basically. I, you know I. 
he's God and I, you know, and I'm just going to submit to him. But you had this deep longing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I want to win this thing. <clears throat> when you won that, what is God? You, 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 you had that sermon ready <laughs> for years. You're, you're practicing this little sermon. What did you say that day? Uh, I, verbatim, I don't recall, but it was something to the effect that uh, uh, I knew that there was a, a derby out there somewhere with my name on it. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And thank you, Jesus, for the victory. Some, something along those lines. Romans eight twenty eight again. Yeah. Even if you yeah. all those all those years, because you said in the break you raced how many different derbies? Well, all total twenty two. Twenty two times. Yes, sir. You ran the derby, and you won in nineteen ninety two. Ninety two. Um, how many Preaknesses did you have you won? Uh, five Preaknesses and three Belmonts. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and one the one the Preakness and the Belmont uh, both one year on a horse called Tabasco Cat, and he was a real fractious, high high energy individual. And uh, the Derby crowd kind of got to him. He sat down the starting gate, didn't act right, and then didn't run much in the Derby. But he come back and he beat the horse that won the Derby beat him handily in the in the Preakness and the Belmont. So could have possibly been a Triple Crown winner had he conducting himself in a professional manner on Derby Day. It's, it's really a, 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 almost this, I mean, it's happened numerous times, but to win the Triple Crown is... In, it's an elusive goal. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's tough to accomplish. Pat, Pat tell us about uh, Easy Goer. I think you said it's one of your um, maybe favorite... He, he was the best horse I ever rode, Kurt. He was, he was the best. Uh, even though, <clears throat> and I thought that he was better than Sunday Silence. I think he was better than Sunday Silence today, but they had a great rivalry going on. He ran second to him here in the Derby, caught a track that he didn't didn't really care for, uh, ran second by a, a nostril in the Preakness and was on the receiving end of a bad ride on my part. I'll take full credit for the for the loss in the Preakness. And then came back and beat him handily in the Belmont, um, ran the second fastest time only to the great secretariat. Uh, he He was just, he was the best I ever rode. When you talk about um, it was your fault at the Preakness with him, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I didn't ride the best race of my life. Um, a boy named Pat Valenzuela was riding Sunday Silence, and um, uh, I tracked him around the first turn. Easy Gore was up in the bridle, wanting to run, didn't want to settle, and I thought, let me just ease outside and give him his head. Maybe he'll lengthen his stride and, and, and settle in and, and relax. And when I come up alongside of Sunday Silence, well, Patrick decided that he wanted to pack me to the outside fence. And uh, by that, not literally, but he was going to carry me out in the middle of the racetrack, just race riding. And I thought, no, not today. And that's where I made my mistake because he was the horse to beat. If I just let him carry me out there and he drops me off and runs around the corner, I'm going to have three-eighths of a mile to catch him. Uh, but as it was, I, I wanted to push him back down in there. And so I let Easy Goer run. He let Sunday Silence run. And we really ran fast up the backside. And uh, I finally got in front of him, pushed him back down where he belonged. And, and uh, we got into the turn uh, he had to check for just a little bit. The horse on the lead, the horse called Houston, didn't ma- negotiate the turn smoothly, and Patrick had to check. And I knew that Sunday Silence would come back, but I didn't think he would come back quite as quickly as he did. And, and in the middle of the turn, he was back up on the outside of me. And now he's got the advantage, and now he pushes me down against the fence, holds me in tight. Easy goer's a little intimidated, never been in that position. We come off the corner, and, and Patrick is nearly up in the saddle with me. I mean, really riding tight. And nothing against Patrick. I mean, that's, that, that was his job. Mm-hmm. And um, Easy Gore didn't want to change leads. I finally, about the eighth pole, he changed over to his correct lead, got another gear, started to get back in front of Sunday Silence, and I thought, well, we'll just go on and win from here. And, and about that time, his legs just went, went rubber. He had expended himself up the backside, and now he's down in tight, and, and uh, 
Uh, you just so Sunday silence came back and got us right at the money. And I just know that had I, you know, kept my composure, not gotten the flesh, as I said, uh, up the backside, just let him go ahead and take me where he wants me, I'd have, I think I'd have put him away easily. Mm. When, you, when you say Pat Day in the flesh, I, 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 I'm, you're such a, a man who walks in the spirit and walks with the Lord. It's, um, I can't quite picture that, but I'm, I'm sure you, <laughs> I, I'm sure Sheila could probably tell us oh, some stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get her on her. She'll tell you some good ones. <laughs> Pat, tell us, um, tell us about when you decided to retire and, and just uh, hang it all up and, and, and what you're doing now. Well, that was a decision I didn't come to easily, Kurt. Uh, in 2004, I'd, my hip was starting to bother me a little bit, not sure why. Um, and, and so as we made it through the fall of the year, I, I was going to take the winter off and see if I couldn't rehab it. I did. Uh, a dear friend of mine, David Caborn, an orthopedic surgeon, put me together with his wife, who was a f- physical therapist, and she worked with me. And by the end of January, I was, my hip was feeling good, but there was still a bit of a catch in it. Uh, I went to Florida in early February, rode a few races. It was bothering me significantly. So I came back. David injected my hip, took a picture, and discovered that I had a torn cartilage. Ultimately, sent me to Colorado to a specialist to get that taken care of, uh, which forced me to leave the, to, to miss the Derby for the first time in 21 years. But I came back with a renewed enthusiasm. I'm pain-free. I'm riding good. I rode a horse called Two Trails Sioux in the Fleur de Lis, the first major event since my surgery in mid-June. And uh, ultimately, she won the race. And as I'm driving to the finish line, I felt like I'd contributed significantly to the victory. I felt that the talent and ability and experience played a major role in in the victory. And so when I'm driving to the finish line, knowing that victory was within my grasp, I kept waiting for a feeling of euphoria, like, yeah, we're back, we're back. I went on the finish line, there was no no feeling at all. I've Mm -hmm. ridden over 40,000 races. That was the only race that I've ever ridden. And at the conclusion, I didn't have some sort of emotion, happy, sad, disappointed, excited, something, nothing. Really? And I went home that night and shared with my wife. We prayed about it. I wasn't getting any clear-cut direction. I said, Something, something's going on in here. And so I, I rode that filly back to, a month later in Delaware, in the Delaware Park Handicap. Uh, she ran second, ran a great race. But I just knew there was something not right inside. And uh, so this friend of mine, David Caborn, would, had gone with me. We came back. I said, David, I, I need to get alone and seek the face of God. And he had a cabin on the Kentucky River. He said, here's the keys. You go and stay as long as you need. So I went over there on a Thursday, Thursday evening, I got down on my knees, and, and I wish I could say, Father, just, just tell me what you want me to do. I didn't. I wanted to stay in racing. Mm-hmm. And I got down on my knees, and I begged and cried and pleaded, tried to cut a deal with the Lord, tried to convince him that, you know, I needed to stay in racing for a while longer. I was only 30 winners behind Shoemaker on the all-time win list. I thought I could surpass him quickly, and that would look good. Didn't matter. Uh, I, I, I told him, I said, Father, I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills, but maybe you don't realize that I'm just a few a dollar short of $200 million in, in purse earnings, and that would look good on my resume. It didn't matter. <laughs> I finally broke down and cried and said, Father, forgive me. I just want to do what you want me to do. And at that moment, he picked me up and held me almost like you would your child when, they, when they're hurting. Mm-hmm. And he comforted and consoled me. Awesome, awesome feeling. Carried on for three days. On the third day, I got up, and I said, Man, let me just take a little drive around here. I'm not real familiar with that part of Kentucky, beautiful part of the state. So I'm out driving, and no, no noise, no music. No, just had the windows down, enjoying the beauty of God's creation. And all of a sudden, I felt the tapping on my shoulder. Now, I don't recall inviting the devil to get in there with me, but all of a sudden, there he was in the passenger seat tapping me on the shoulder, saying, what, 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 what are you going to do? What do you mean, what am I going to do? Well, you're going to keep riding? You're going to retire? What are you going to do? Man, I'm, I, I didn't want to make a decision. I'm white knuckle on the steering wheel, and finally, through clenched teeth, I said, it's time, isn't it? 
It's like that. I knew that I knew that I knew it was time to close the book on that chapter mm. and move forward doing God only knows what. But immediately there was a renewed enthusiasm in the pit of my stomach. But it was not a renewed enthusiasm to go into win races. It was a renewed enthusiasm to go in to share the gospel, mm. to go in to win souls for the kingdom of God. And, and that's what you're doing now. As, as a retired jockey, you have an opportunity to continually share the greatest news in the world. So, Pat, tell us about you, once you retired and got off the horses, God really has put a passion in your heart to really be engaged in ministry. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Kurt, you know, when, uh, when I got saved in 84 and got the revelation that I was to stay in racing and not to leave it, but to take the talent and ability, do the best that I could, uh, then as now the only vehicle that's actively endeavoring to bring the gospel message to the racing industry is the Racetrack Chaplaincy of America. And I became fully invested in them. And today I'm, I'm the president, I'm currently the president of the local council, the Kentucky Racetrack Chaplaincy. And uh, we're endeavoring to bring the gospel message to the people in the racing industry. Uh, we're trying to meet some of their physical, some of their material needs, but ultimately uh, to bring them the gospel, to, to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're, we're, we have five chaplains working here in Kentucky, three at Churchill Downs, uh, one in western Kentucky at, uh, at Ellis Park, and uh, in, in Ron Crawford, and one up north in uh, Cincinnati, Doug, uh, goodness, I just forgot his last name, but Dan Hatfield, Daisy Baez, and Joseph Del Rosario, uh, all three bilingual, uh, that are ministering here at Churchill Downs and, and uh, trying to meet the needs of the people that make up the workforce. Not just, and that, that's a ministry that ministers to the owners, to the, to the, the folks who work with the horses, to the riders. I mean, it's, it's to everybody. Well, it's all inclusive, but it's, uh, it's predominantly for the people that make up the workforce, the people that work directly with the horses. The idea when the ministry started 50-some years ago was that, they, you know, horses demand attention every day. They've got to be gotten out of their stalls, cleaned up, and taken care of. And so people that work directly with them don't have the opportunity to get off the track and go to a church of their choice. So the idea is let's bring church to them make it at their convenience, bring it into their, into their backyard. And Churchill Downs was so kind, they've, uh, they allocated some ground for us. We built a chapel out there. It's a state-of-the-art facility. It's awesome. Uh, and, and, and the men and women, I mean, they're doing, our, our chaplains are doing excellent work. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, could you just close us in prayer, uh, just a short prayer, because we got to wrap this baby up. But just pray for us, guys, that we would follow closely. Absolutely. Would you I would us? be privileged to do that. Sweet Jesus, great and gracious Heavenly Father, we just love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you for all that we have and all that we are. We thank you for the privilege of serving you, our risen Savior. And Lord, I just pray today for anyone listening to this broadcast, Lord, that if they don't know and love and trust you, Lord, that they would come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that they would believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they would be saved. Father, I just pray that you'd fill us all with, to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and direct us throughout this day and every day, that our lives would uh, clearly reflect your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you now for all of this. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. 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 Thank amen. you, Pat. Thank you so thank much. You. So we thank you for listening. You've heard a legend talk, not just about what he did on the back of a horse, but what God did inside of his heart. And that is what the main work that God does. And we just thank you. And we hope that you have not, if you have not made that decision, that you will walk with God through, uh, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we thank you for listening to Solid Steps. Pass this along to someone else who may enjoy it. And uh, thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio.